Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Boy, little did I realize when I agreed to host the next couple of weeks here on KSL News Radio for Inside Sources that we would be dealing with the kind of news that we are. Right now, there is a press event that is going on with the president of Ukraine and the president of the United States. They are fielding some questions. It looks like it just barely broke up. And so I thought what we would do, we would go ahead and give you some of the highlights. I'm Doug Wright, and it's a pleasure to be with you today. And I want to underscore this right off the bat, that our voicemail call-in number is available right now. I'm very interested to hear, and I'm sure our other listeners would be interested to hear your opinions as well. What do you feel about this? Should this inquiry go forward? The president has called it a witch hunt. Nancy Pelosi is saying that there have been very serious violations uh, in confidence and everything else from the president of the United States. It's interesting to compare Nancy Pelosi's comments back in uh, 1998 when the shoe was on the other foot and it was a Democratic president that was under fire and what she uh, had to say then versus what she has to say now. We'll share all of that with you coming up during the course of the program. But I would love to get your response. 801 575 7668. Leave us your thoughts. You can also, of course, text us on the Utah Community Credit uh, Union text line at 57500. I'd love to share your comments and kind of see where you are on all of this. So this uh, boils down. The timing is very interesting that yesterday the uh, Speaker of the House announced that an inquiry would go go forward. Now, that's not just something that uh, a speaker can arbitrarily do, but she or he, back in the day, it was Newt Gingrich, of course, in 1998, but they get the ball rolling. And then it has to go through Judiciary Committee. It has to go to various things before it ever shows up on the floor of the House, where a simple plus one vote can then move it forward to the Senate. And by the way, we're going to walk through this whole process coming up with someone who was very immersed in this back in 1998, and that uh, our third district congressman at the time, Chris Cannon. He not only was there, not only saw the impeachment process firsthand, but he was called to uh, play a rather significant role being one of the, the term is managers out of the House of Representatives who basically go over while the trial is going on in the Senate and make the case. So we'll walk through the process with our former 3rd District Congressman Chris Cannon at 1.20 this afternoon. But let's play just a little sound as this press event was going on with the President of Ukraine and the President of the United States. There was a question, one of the very first questions the President of uh, Ukraine had to field was this one. Did you feel pressure from President Trump? President Zelensky, have you felt any pressure from President Trump to investigate Joe, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden? I think you read everything. So you, I think you read text. I, uh, I'm sorry, but I, I don't want to be involved to democratic, open 
выборы, elections, elections of USA. No, you heard that we had, uh, I think, good uh, phone call. It was normal. We spoke about many things, and I, so, so I think, and you read it that nobody pushed it, pushed me. Yes. In other words, no pressure. Because you know what, there was no pressure, and you know there was. And by the way, you know there was no pressure. All you have to do is see it. What went on on the call? But you know that. But you could ask the question, and I appreciate the answer. Go ahead. Okay, and then a little later on, there was a follow-up for President Trump directly targeted at him. Let's listen to that. Mr. President, would you like President Zelensky to do more on Joe Biden and investigate? No, I want uh, him to do whatever he can. This was not his fault. He wasn't there. He's just been here recently. But whatever he can do in terms of corruption, because the corruption's massive. Now, when Biden's son walks away with millions of dollars from Ukraine and he knows nothing, and they're paying him millions of dollars. That's corruption. When Biden's son walks out of China with $1.5 billion in a fund, and the biggest funds in the world can't get money out of China, and he's there for one quick meeting, and he flies in on Air Force Two, uh, I think that's a horrible thing. It is so interesting. Uh, we, we see this back and forth in Washington all the time. Uh, For so many years on the old Doug Wright show, we used to talk about that. Isn't it interesting how all of a sudden everything changes when the shoe is on the other foot? Yes, no, we were whining about this very same thing when we had the majority or when we had the White House. But now that we don't have the White House, all of a sudden we have, quote unquote, seen the light or all of a sudden we have changed our mind. It, it is kind of an amazing political game. I really appreciated something that uh, Congressman Stewart said this morning when he was on the air with Dave and Debbie. And he just said, you know, I, I just want to find out what the truth is. And if I believe the president is guilty of something, you know, high crimes, misdemeanors, that's the term in the Constitution, then I would vote for impeachment. And it's interesting. History teaches us some very, very interesting lessons. You go back to 19. 19- 98, when the shoe was on the other foot. And remember how the Democrats were just screaming at that time, just as Republicans are screaming now that this is everything from a witch hunt. All the the terms are used. But back in 1998, it was interesting what was going on. And I looked very closely at the vote. Remember, President Clinton was being charged with, there were two counts, the two articles of impeachment, one was for perjury, lying under oath, and the other was for, again, the cover-up, obstruction of justice. Isn't it amazing how many times that that's what it boils down to? It boils down to lying under oath or it boils down to a cover-up. We've seen that over and over on major league things like a presidential situation or on minor league things as well. But I looked back because I was curious, how much of a party line did we actually see at the time, and we pretty much saw the party line. Just to bring you up to date, uh, our Senator Bob Bennett voted guilty on both of the uh, articles of impeachment back in 1998, or, or I think by then was it 1999? Because everything started in 1998, and I think it rolled on into 1999, if I'm remembering correctly. Orrin Hatch also voted guilty on both of the charges. Democrats were absolutely in line. Bam, 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 bam. Right, not guilty on both counts all the way through. But some Republicans actually split their vote, and one Republican 
actually voted not guilty on both counts. That was Jeff Jeffords of Vermont, Republican of Vermont, Vermont said not guilty on both of the articles. Fred Thompson at the time voted not guilty on perjury, but guilty to obstruction. And that was the pattern for the rest of the Republicans who also split their vote, like John Warner. Uh, he, uh, from uh, Virginia, he voted no on the perjury charge and yes on obstruction, as did Ted Stevens from Arkansas, as did Richard Shelby of Alabama. Very interesting. And the vote overall on that was 45 votes uh, for impeachment, for conviction on the perjury article, and 50 votes on obstruction of justice. And isn't it interesting? Again, you know, studying history is an interesting thing. But when you look back and you listen to the weeping and wailing that was going on from Democrats when Bill Clinton was on the hot seat, and now you look at the weeping and the wailing from Republicans when uh, President Trump is on the the hot seat, uh, it's, it's a most interesting situation. By the way, our federal delegation at that time was Orrin Hatch and Bob Bennett, as I've already mentioned. But our second district congressman was Merrill Cook. Our first district congressman was Jim Hansen. And our third district congressman was Chris Cannon. And as I've already mentioned, he'll be joining us to talk about the process itself and talk about what it was like for him and what the role is, assuming for a moment that this goes that far this time around. When you are a manager from the House going over to help make the case in the Senate, what is that experience like? So we'll have uh, Chris Cannon joining us coming up on Inside Sources today. Next, we are going to be talking with our first district congressman, Rob Bishop. I always appreciate his uh, sense of history as well. And how did we make it 197 years with only one impeachment process? And in the last 50-some-odd years... Quite a bit more. We'll talk with Rob about that coming up. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Doug Wright filling in today for the next couple of weeks. It's uh, very, very good to have you along. Thank you. And already getting a lot of input on this, particularly on our Utah Community Credit Union uh, text message board, 57500. You know, I floated a question just a moment ago. Uh, from 1776 to 1973, one impeachment, the impeachment of Andrew Johnson. Uh, He barely retained the the presidency by one vote in the Senate. and But in my adult lifetime, from 1974 forward, and I'm going to count uh, the Richard Nixon Watergate situation, because had he not resigned, that certainly, certainly 
would have gone through the impeachment process and almost assuredly would have ended in an impeachment conviction. So let's go ahead and count that. And then President Clinton in 1998-1999, now he was absolved and was not convicted, and now there is talk of President Trump. So we have three just since 1974, and in the first 100, uh, actually, yeah, 197 years of our republic, we had one. And I'd be very interested to get your thoughts on this, and I'm going to ask that of our first district congressman as well, who is not only well-versed in politics and government, but in history as well. Rob Bishop, our first district congressman, thank you. Welcome to uh, Inside Sources here at KSL. Well, thank you, Doug. It's good to talk to you, although I'm not used to talking to you this late in the afternoon. I don't know if I can stay awake this long. I know. I know, you know, it's it's a little bit of a mindset change for me as well. And here a lot of people thought, gosh, we finally got rid of that guy. And look, he's back. It's <laughs> kind of like, you know, the vampire you can't get rid of during the, the horror movie. Rob, what has changed? Why are we seeing just in, in our, you and I are the same age, in our adult lifetimes, and again, I'm counting President Nixon. There have been, there would have been an impeachment there. There was an impeachment with Bill Clinton, and there may or may not be an impeachment. Uh, conviction is a whole different thing of uh, of President Trump. Is it? What, what has fundamentally changed? Why are we seeing this so much more often than we did in the first 200 years of the Republic? Well, I I can't give you a reason that's that's driving people's heart, but. It, it is more pernicious than that. I mean, when I, since I've been here in Washington, I've received letters from people asking me to impeach George Bush, and then letters asking me to impeach Barack Obama, and now they're asking me to impeach uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. And in each situation, I have, I, have, I, I have reneged on that concept simply because I think you need to give some kind of credibility, credibility to the voice of the people. If the people elect somebody... You should respect that will of the voters that elected that individual and not try to find an arbitrary way of annulling that particular election, which has been happened over the last three presidencies when I've been back here. So, I mean, there are people who have been looking for a way, some rational reason to get Trump ever since he was elected. But the impeachment is a very significant and powerful tool of Congress that should be used not simply for political purposes. And that's one of the things that bothers me with what we're doing now, as with those people that called for me to help start impeachment procedures on Obama and Bush and everyone else. You know, you, you were talking earlier about the original one, that the first serious political impeachment started right after 1800, when Jefferson tried to impeach Samuel Chase, who was on the Supreme Court, because Chase and Bush were Washington actually campaigned against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Chase said some very indiscreet things while he was doing that. But at the same time, that was also, that trial was acquitted. And it set a precedent back there in the 1800s that, first of all, judges would not become engaged in, in practical politics. It's probably good. But the second is we would not use impeachment for political reasons. And that was the rationale, that which, which is why there's maybe like one significant other until the 1970s. Right. So we have a change in the rationale of why we use this procedure, and I don't think that necessarily ennobles the, 
the product of politics or the role of Congress. When the, the Founding Fathers and those who crafted our Constitution worked so hard during that, uh, that time period with all kinds of muting that was going on, shutters closed, secrecy and everything else to come up with the Constitution of the United States of America, when they talk about high crimes and misdemeanors, there's just something when I think of a high crime, and there are some misdemeanors that can be pretty insidious and bad as well, I always think of things really heavy duty. I, th- I think of treason. I think of, you know, crimes that would put the president in jail, you know, that type of thing. And yeah, even going back to Andrew Johnson's, you know, where it's pretty much the radical Republicans who are not very happy with him at all on Reconstruction and everything else, it still seemed to me that even though Andrew Johnson's presidency was certainly interesting, to say the least, but was that a high crime and misdemeanor, or was that political? Um, to be honest, I think it's more political, although they had passed a specific law that did not allow a president to fire his own cabinet members without going through Congress. That was since been repealed, but that was technically the issue on which they impeached Andrew Johnson was he violated an act of Congress. But I think you're right. I mean, the the term high crimes and misdemeanors was archaic, even when the Constitution was being written. But it meant a significant and prolonged procedure of gross malfeasance in office. It was never intended simply to be political actions or a simple political action. In fact, there's a couple of other criteria, such as some treason and high crimes and misdemeanors. So there are a couple of, of, ob, 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 I'm sorry, obvious felonies mm-hmm. that could qualify for impeachment, but high crimes and misdemeanors was supposed to be something that was talking about gross and significant malfeasance in office. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, maybe something will come out, but I don't see anything that fits that standard Yet, you know, nor in- did I see anything fitting that standard for Obama or George W. Bush? Yeah, and and you know, it's interesting. And and if you're just looking for something that really troubles you about this particular president, and we could go back and revisit others as well. But th- this conversation that Nancy Pelosi says is the straw that basically broke the back on this. You know, I read through it, and yeah, there's some parts in there. I go, really, Mr. President? No kidding. Well, you know, and some of it's just almost juvenile, and there's a whole lot of sucking up in that uh, in that transcript of the conversation. But, boy, if you're looking for things that would perhaps put you in an impeachment category, I, th- I think this is one of the least. I haven't had the chance of reading the entire transcript, but the parts that I did have the chance to glance at, um, I have to agree with you. I, I didn't see anything that reached reached that high standard, even though it's an archaic standard and there really is no definite. Gerald Ford once said, um, high crimes and misdemeanors, anything the majority of Congress says it is. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of like the Supreme Court on pornography. Uh, you know, you'll know it when you see it. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah Rob, just very, very quickly, I've only got a couple of seconds. Where do you think this is going to go ultimately? Gut feel. I don't know. I hope it doesn't suck the oxygen out of the room so that we can't get anything else done. It does divert our attention to things that I think are significant and important that Congress should be doing for people. I hope this doesn't change that entire dynamic so nothing happens. It's possible, though. Yeah. Rob, I always appreciate your time. It's really good to chat with you. Thank you for joining us. And I'm sure you want to announce right here and right now whether you're running for governor or not. I'll I'll give you a couple of, you know, we'll we'll make time for that. It it is always good to talk (laughs) 
and I think with that promo, we'll probably have another conversation. Sometime. Uh, this is one of those, oh, my, look at the time things. Rob, thank you very much <laughs> for joining us on the show Take today. Care. <laughs> Rob Goodbye. Bishop, our first district congressman, talking about the uh, inquiry process that is uh, allegedly beginning. And again, there are steps that we have to go through before, you know, nobody has quite that much power. They can certainly light the fuse, but they have to kind of shepherd that along in order to make uh, something this big actually happen. Uh, As I mentioned, Chris Cannon will be joining us. He was one of the House managers who was involved in the Clinton impeachment process. He'll be joining us. John Curtis will also be joining us. Uh, We're anticipating a press conference with the president coming up, and that will uh, get underway at, we think, around 2 o'clock. We weren't quite sure if what we had on the air just a a few minutes ago, or what we talked about on the air a few minutes ago, was that or not. But no, apparently, 2 o'clock, the presidential press conference here on KSL. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Doug Wright on Inside Sources, filling in for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Little did I know when I agreed to do this that we'd be talking about, well, I mean, impeachment has been rumbling ever since the day Donald Trump was elected. But as Rob Bishop also pointed out, our first district congressman, it was rumbled about from the first day that uh, President Obama was elected and George W. Bush. And then, of course, before George W. Bush, we did have a good old timey impeachment with Bill Clinton and it's uh, it's interesting. I hope this isn't becoming something regular where now we just brandish the old, you know, the old uh, uh, sword of impeachment on each and every president that we have. We're going to take a little time out from the impeachment issue for a moment. Over the last several days, we've been talking about the uh, not on the air, but off the air, how cool it would be to have a, a special guest join us on the program here by the name of Bill Wyatt, who could give us an update on what's happening at our Salt Lake International Airport. I've, for <laughs> Ever since my alleged semi-retirement, I've actually used the airport a little bit more than uh, had been the norm, unless you go back to some of the political years where we were traveling all over the country. But boy, it has been fascinating to me to watch what is unfolding at Salt Lake International Airport. And honestly, I want to give kudos to the folks out there because with all of that construction and all of the things going on, uh, how they've kept things running as smoothly as they have is just beyond me. But this is a $3.6 billion rebuild, and we are very pleased. Again, we're taking time out from impeachment talk here to talk with Bill Wyatt, who is, of course, the executive director of the Salt Lake City Department of Airports. Bill, thank you for making time for us here at KSL. Thank you. Uh, I really, uh, really appreciate the opportunity. I'll tell you, you know, watching what's unfolding out there has really been fun. I remember back in the day, uh, we had a neighbor whose father, he was in the insurance business and he traveled quite a bit. And I can remember as a little kid going out there while Mr. Olson went off on one of the uh, the trips and we would stand there in the airport. It was the most magical place in the world. We'd park there for a while to watch the planes take off and, and land. There's something even still today that is magical about an airport for me, and it's probably because of my generational factor. But this new airport looks pretty darn cool. It is uh, 
state-of-the-art 21st century hub airport that is going to serve this community for the next 100 years. And uh, I couldn't be more excited to be a part of it. I actually uprooted myself uh, from my lifetime home in Portland, Oregon, to uh, uh, to move down here and and be part of it. And it's going to have just a tremendously um, affirmative impact on the economy of this region. But as you say, um, people have very special memories and moments uh, that occur in airports, takings and leavings. And uh, it's a really uh, tremendous uh, development, and it's on time. It's going to open on September 15th of 2020, uh, the first phase, and I think people are going to be extremely impressed. There was a movie out several years ago called Love Actually, and I'd never really thought about this, but in the narrative that's going on at the end, uh, talking about how, for most of us, the airport carries some fairly significant memories, people that we love, wishing them farewell, sometimes wishing them, you know, welcome home. It is an amazing place where humans really do connect. And I was surprised when I was reading Katie McKellar's article in the Deseret News on Monday. I didn't know this. Already, the baggage processing facility is up and running and being tested, uh, tested yes. right now on the new technologies. You know, so... Uh I think it's interesting to note just the improvements and changes in construction uh, technology. Today, um, you know, it used to be you'd see architects and contractors walking around with rolls and rolls of uh, of, of paper that had the blueprints on them, and now it's all digital. And the baggage handling system was actually designed on a computer, and they could actually run it before they ordered it, and they ordered it. It's about a $180 million piece of equipment, and the airport was essentially built around the bag handling system. And so it is up and running. The TSA has delivered uh, eight uh, scanning devices, state-of-the-art again, uh, and they need to have the commissioning complete and their own certification done about six months in advance of the openings so that they are certain to be uh, ready. And uh, we're we're on track for that. I don't see anything that will get in the way. It's performing very nicely. Amazing. When I, when I look at the plans, there are some that are just almost breathtaking, including the Grand Plaza area in the South Concourse. Describe how that's going to work and when all of this will, you know, about a year from now, I understand, be coming on board. Not the whole airport, but parts of it, phases of it. Right. So the parts that will be on board, uh, we have a quick, we call it a quick turnaround facility for the rental car business where after you drop your car off at the airport, they run it over there and clean it and wash it and fuel it and so forth, and then they bring it back for rental again. Um, a 3,600 um, uh, car um, uh, garage, which is uh, twice as big as the one we have uh, today, and then what we call the gateway center, which is connected to the garage, from which you can access uh, by the roadway as well. Uh, you go in, you check in your bag, and maybe you've got to go up to the ticket lobby and get something squared away. Or if you can, if you've got your ticket with you, you go straight through uh, into this uh, very large. Uh, it'll be a state-of-the-art security checkpoint, and then you come out into the Grand Plaza, which has 45-foot uh, ceilings. It'll have a very unique piece of art that will evoke um, the canyons of Utah, <laughs> huge uh, food and beverage uh, opportunities, and a 45-foot-high glass ceiling wall. 
uh, from which you'll be able to see the Wasatch and the Ochres. <clears throat> It'll be stunning. I, I, I'm so looking forward to that. And, you know, one thing that this came up in one of the, uh, I don't think it was the debate that I moderated with the Salt Lake mayoral candidates. I think it was one that I caught over at the, the Alta Club one day. But one of the candidates was going on and on and on about the expense to the to the taxpayers of the new Salt Lake International Airport. And, boy, that was immediately shut down. As I understand it, no taxpayer dollars are being used to fund this. Zero. The airport business model in the United States is essentially a user model. And so the users pay, the airlines pay, and obviously that's reflected in their um, their ticket prices. But we, we are today and we will continue to be a very inexpensive airport for the airlines to use. The concessionaires, the rental cars, the parking, all of that is what allows us to build this airport. There are no local tax dollars involved uh, in this project. I do have to admit I'm probably going to get a little nostalgic, if not a little misty-eyed, when they knock down the old, old, old part. Well, I mean, if you go to old, you're over to the executive airport. But where that great big world map is on the floor oh, and yeah. it shows some of the flights, I can remember as a little kid running around that with uh, my friends while we were waiting for people to go and to come home. But when does the demolition occur? The demolition will begin to occur shortly after we open, uh, I would say November-ish of uh, 2020. But speaking of the world map, um, a lot of uh, study was done on whether or not it could be saved in any way, and sadly, uh, the answer is that it can't. And so about a year and a half ago, um, the airport commissioned uh, an artist to come in and take a very, very high-profile set of photographs, uh, high-resolution set of photographs of the world map. And <clears throat> those have all been stitched together, and they're going to be um, uh, contained on etched glass in the meter-greeter area in the new airport. And it'll uh, you'll, you'll be able to see essentially the very same map on which you were playing as a <laughs> as a child, and yeah. I uh, I'm really happy about that. I think it's going to be a, a very nice uh, uh, a very nice rendition. That is very cool, Bill Wyatt. Thank you for joining us today on Inside Sources, Executive Director of the Salt Lake City Department. When we come back, we'll be talking with our former Third District Congressman Chris Cannon. He was a House Manager who uh, was involved in the impeachment of President Bill Clinton back in 1998-1999. That's coming up next. Stay with us. The inquiry into impeachment regarding President Donald Trump. That's been uh, the hot topic uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, It was at uh, 5 o'clock Eastern Time, 3 o'clock our time, that Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker of the House, made the announcement that she would start the inquiry process. And, you know, one of the first things that I thought of, because I've been through this now before, back in 1998, 1999, President Bill Clinton, I immediately thought, I need to call uh, Chris Cannon, who at that time was our third district congressman. And uh, he ended up playing a rather significant role in that process as even a House manager. And rather than me uh, explain what that means, I thought it would be interesting to have Chris Cannon joined us today. He was kind enough to say yes. And Chris, I figure since I was dragged out of my semi-retirement, I'm going to drag you along with me. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Doug, it's, it's thrilling to have you back on the air. Oh, that's very, very kind. 
I, I, I immediately replayed a lot of things in my mind, and I remembered the, the process. I can remember all of the conversations that we had on the air, you and me and, and many others during that process. Would you walk us through what happens What now that the Speaker of the House has announced that she wants the inquiry into impeachment to go forward? What happens? So now the uh, Judiciary Committee, but other committees apparently are going to be involved as well, but principally the Judiciary Committee is, is going to start an inquiry, and they probably will hire some people, some extra staff, and to start looking at the issue. Uh, and the issue is political. It's uh, The Constitution talks about high crimes and misdemeanors, and, uh, and recent reading has indicated there's a lot of misunderstanding about that, so I thought maybe clarifying that would be helpful at first. High crimes are crimes in high places, and they're not necessarily the kind of crimes that there's a statute for, but they're things that are people recognize as wrong. And uh, misdemeanors, it really doesn't deal with the, the crime that we call a misdemeanor, a small crime. Misdemeanor means that the setting of the face, the demeanor of the person, is is wrong, and, and so it's, it's highly political. What is, what is it about a president that you don't like? And unfortunately, in this country, we have a huge number of people that hate this president, and we also have a huge number of people that like him. So uh, I think they're justifying uh, impeachment on the basis of, of their emotions uh, rather than on the basis of the facts that would suggest there's a, a serious problem of high crimes or misdemeanors uh, in this, with this president. It's, it seems like this is almost becoming a, a weaponized thing, something that we brandish now. Oh. If, if we don't like a, a president, we had Rob Bishop on a few minutes ago, and he said that ever since he has been in office, a little after uh, the time that you served, uh, the, the, was there some overlap there? I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. I think so, was, you know, that's a really interesting, interesting point. My, my friend, uh, Democrat Bobby Scott, was the chairman of the Crime Subcommittee at one point, and this is a long time ago, before we got to this incredible state that we're in now. Uh, and uh, we were talking about a problem that somebody had. And he, he looked at me and said, you know, Chris, I worry about the criminalization of politics. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing here is horrible for America. Democrat, Republican doesn't matter, or independent. What we're talking about is claiming crimes when there aren't crimes. Can you imagine Lyndon Baines Johnson talking to a podunk, should say about Ukraine, to a small country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a $2 trillion, more than a $2 trillion economy. Russia has a $1.4 trillion economy. Ukraine may have a $300 billion economy. They're, they're very small. The President of the United States calls up and, and talks to them. They take it seriously. And, and you know, Joe Biden clearly pressured the Ukrainian government to do things that resulted in, in benefit to his family. That's mainstream media press, which nobody's referring to right now. But it, it sounds to me like the, the phone call, the transcript of the phone call from this president was not criminal, was not high crimes, was not misdemeanors. It was the kind of thing that even even Jack Kennedy, who I thought very well of, would have done. And, uh, and then, of course, somebody as coarse and crude as, as Lyndon Baines Johnson making that kind of phone call, anybody with any sense of history would recognize that that presidents in the past have done a lot worse in the interest of America. And I, I suspect that what we're dealing with here is is rooting out the corruption of a prior administration, which is favored by the press. And that's, that's 
part of why we've got such a brouhaha going on. Yeah, it's, okay. it's winning politically at any cost, and Chris, the cost to the American people is intolerable. Chris, back to the process itself. If the Judiciary Committee and whatever else they are using deems it to go forward, what, what then happens now? Maybe just very quickly you could walk us through that process. Okay, so the, the committee itself will organize uh, probably choose leaders, um, and those would be the managers, the House managers, and uh, bring on new staff and investigate and put together a report. In the case of Bill Clinton, of course, we had the Ken Starr report, which is obnoxious. Uh, and, and then, then we, we went from there here. Uh, they've got the Mueller report. They've got the transcript of this the discussion. And they're going to have investigators who will look at every aspect of uh, the president's behavior. There is no limit on the scope of the impeachment. Uh, once the, that gets started, then the investigators will look at everything, and they'll be authorized by Congress, which means if anybody doesn't tell the truth, that is a, a crime uh, like perjury mm-hmm. and, uh, and would get prosecuted. So there'll be an in-depth uh, uh uh, investigation. Uh, the Democrats will have uh, many more people investigating than uh, the Republicans had. And, and in fact, back in the, in the Nixon in, impeachment, I actually applied for a job uh, on the Republican side, and, and the woman who was handling it uh, was literally tears in her eyes, said, you don't understand, Chris, they have 120 people working on, on the Democratic side. We have 20 on the Republican side, so it'll be heavily Weighted to uh, to one side because the Democrats control uh, the budget, and uh, but there'll be some people working uh, uh, to look at things from the perspective of the Republicans and the president, and uh, and they will come to some kind of conclusion that will be brought up in a hearing in the Judiciary Committee, right. uh, and then that hearing will result in uh, in articles of impeachment uh, if it goes that far, uh, which will then be debated and uh, and. Uh, uh, amended, and, and then uh, it would probably go to the, it, you know, given Nancy Pelosi's commitment at this point, it would go to the floor for a, a vote. And in the House, you only need uh, uh, 50% plus one vote right. to impeach. And then it would go to the Senate, and uh, you need two-thirds of the Senate uh, voting for uh, removal to, uh, to convict the president. Chris, I really appreciate your insights. You know, very few people have actually gone through this process, and especially with the role that you had. And uh, I always enjoy our conversations. Thank you for letting me uh, dra- drag you out uh, out of uh, our mutual kind of semi-retirements from all of this and talk about it once again. You have a perspective that uh, very, 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 very few people have. Thank you for joining us on the show. Well, thanks, today. my friend. Always a pleasure. Chris Cannon with us here at KSL News Radio, and uh, just if you just tuned in, one of the main reasons I wanted to talk with Chris is that he was there. I mean, he was there with our delegation at the time, and not only that, but he—you he, heard him use the term House Manager. He was one of the House Managers, and as this did move forward in 1998, 1999, and did not only get voted to move forward from the House, but did go to the Senate. And I ran through what the voting was. A little earlier, Chris was uh, was a main uh, was a big player in all of that. All right, we're going to take a, a brief break here at KSL News Radio, and when we come back, we've got much more in store for you on Inside Sources today, and that includes a conversation with Congressman Chris uh, John Curtis, rather Jason Perry will be joining us later on. So stay with us; much more to come.
It's 131 at Utah's news station. I'm Lindsay Eretz KSL's top local story this hour. A religious Freedom Symposium today has been looking into how to prevent and intervene against targeted violence. KSL News Radio's Mary Richards reports. Something churches could do is have a greeter at the door, that first line of defense, or have worshipers ask someone more about why they are there that day. Others may go as far as to lock doors and gates. It all depends on what they want to do. But this meeting was a way to bridge any gap between faith leaders and law enforcement and learn from each other. There were several dozen people at the event held at the U this morning. The Wasatch School District is using new technology to fight the teen vaping issue. Wasatch High School installed 19 vape detectors in school bathrooms and locker rooms this year, which has resulted in at least 15 vaping-related suspensions. Because of that, every week since the beginning of school, we've seen a slow decline in the vape detectors you know, being set off. Assistant Principal Ryan Bishop says the school has an overall zero-tolerance vaping policy, which includes DARE curriculum. KSL's top national story this hour from ABC News. Ukraine's president says he was not pressured to investigate the Biden family during their now controversial phone call with President Trump over the summer. No, you heard that we had, uh, I think, good uh, phone call. It was normal. We spoke about many things. And I, so, so I think, and you read it, that nobody pushed it, pushed me. Yes. Vladimir Zelensky speaking with the president at the U.N. General Assembly. The comments came after the White House released a transcript of that call. Your money at this moment. The Dow is up 165 points. The S&P is up 18. The Nasdaq is up 86. Coming up on KSL News Radio, another gorgeous fall day. We'll check your KSL weather forecast next. KSL News Time, 133. This is your station for all news. All morning. That's the biggest story. Emergency traffic and reliable updated weather. 5 till 9 each morning. KSL News Radio, Utah's news station. Diabetes can cause kidney problems that can lead to dialysis. Neuropathy can lead to amputation. Vision impairment can lead to blindness, plus heart disease and stroke. Hi, I'm Corbin Bernson. If you suffer from type 2 diabetes, I have great news for you. Help Your Diabetes, simple yet powerful natural approach has helped thousands of diabetes sufferers lower their blood sugar and get off their medications, often in a matter of just a few months. Discover how our proven, safe, and natural methods can help you get your health and your life back. Well, I think it's safe. My life. My A1C has gone from a 7.8 to a 5.9. No, I'm not taking any medication at all. I really feel like this saved my life. Help Your Diabetes, the all-natural doctor-monitored program for those who suffer for type 2 diabetes, is now available to the public. Learn how you can reverse your diabetes. Call 801-515-0020. The first 20 callers get a free consultation and a free A1C test with results in just minutes. Call now, 801-515-0020. 801-515-0020. Want to know the secret that all those flipping houses gurus won't tell you? Flipping multi-unit properties is easier and possibly more profitable than flipping single-family homes. With over 17 years of experience, we here at RE Mentor will show you the art of buying and selling multi-unit properties. Come spend two hours with our team of experts, and we'll show you how you could get passive income and significant retirement quickly. This two-hour class will teach you the art of the multi-unit flip. You'll learn how to buy, hold, and sell multi-unit properties with no money down, no credit, and no 
risk. You risk nothing, but have everything to gain. This intensive two-hour real estate class is coming to the Salt Lake City area soon. Call 800-505-7034 to secure your seat. This seminar is free to the first 30 people that call. Change your life now and learn the art of multi-unit flip or long-term hold. Call 800-505-7034. Bill Riley here with University of Utah head football coach Kyle Whittingham. Now tell me, Coach Witt, what's your philosophy on a winning team? I believe the key to winning is a strong offensive line. When the linemen do their job, nothing gets through to the quarterback so he can do his job. Well, what happens if the linemen don't do their job? Ouch. You know, Bill, I recently learned that kidneys work like linemen for your body. When your kidneys work, you block poisons and chemicals from your blood. Coach, I've heard that one in nine Americans have some form of kidney disease. What can we do to fight back? Join me, Coach Kyle Whittingham, and be part of the winning team against kidney disease. Donate your used car or truck to the Kidney Foundation. Your car will be towed for free, and you'll get a receipt for a tax deduction. Tell them how to do that, Bill. Donate your car to the Kidney Foundation today and make your car a kidney car. Cars to save lives. Call 1-800-TOW-CARS. That's tow cars. Cars with a K. 1-800-TOW-CARS. Every year, the National Kidney Foundation helps individuals and families affected by kidney disease. Help them out by making your car a kidney car. Call 1-800-TOW-CARS. Traffic and weather together. Brought to you by Mountain America's lowest visa rate ever. Ricky Meese, what's going on? A good drive on the freeways. A couple of crashes in Weber County. One that's in the cleanup stages northbound Harrison Boulevard at 36th Street. Now a crash in Roy, 2700 West, 5600 South. Celebrate the grand opening of American United Credit Union's West Valley Branch today from 11 to 5 near Winco off 56th West. Free food truck tickets. New members earn up to $500. Ricky Meese in the KSL Traffic Center. Another gorgeous day on tap today and tomorrow, but we'll see clouds move in for Friday where we start to see that storm rolling in for the coming weekend. 78 tomorrow, 73 Friday, and only 67 the high on Saturday with rain and possible snow in the mountains coming as well. It's 74 right now. And a few scattered clouds at KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM, 1160 AM. This is Utah's news station. It is great to have you along on Inside Sources here at KSL News Radio. I'm Doug Wright, filling in over the next couple of weeks. Boy, whoever thought uh, when I was uh, contacted by Kevin LaRue, our program director, a week or so ago, and he said, hey, would you mind filling in for a little while? I went, yeah, sure. Uh, I, never did I dream that we'd be talking about this. The, the, the situation regarding impeachment, and I thought Rob Bishop put this very well, ever since he has been in the first congressional district seat, he had letters saying that we ought to impeach George W. Bush. He had letters saying we ought to impeach Barack Obama. He's had letters demanding that we impeach Donald Trump. And as we talked about with Chris Cannon just a moment ago, who was there during the impeachment of Bill Clinton back in the late 1990s, this has almost become a weaponized issue in our society. And, you know, is that healthy for the United States of America, for us in our pursuit of becoming a more perfect union? And so many things have become weaponized our, our conversations now and the way we handle things and the way we bludgeon one another with issues that sometimes we even kind of agree on. 
you know, Ronald Reagan used to say, if somebody agrees me on agrees with me on an issue 80 percent, hey, we're friends. Now, no, 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 the purity, the purity level of your agreement with me or my agreement with you can be up around 98%. Even the governor has talked to me about this. He said it used to be that if you agreed with somebody the majority of the time, hey, you know, you're you're right there. You can you can work out a deal. Now, you make a mile-long march and you're out of step once and you're the enemy. How and why did we evolve into this? And so, you know, who knows? And and honestly, I looked over this transcript of the television conversation between President Zelensky of Ukraine and President Trump of the United States of America. And there are parts of it where I go, really? You know, and some parts where I, you know, kind of go, oh, man. But I don't see anything in here that is necessarily impeachable. I mean, there there have been things that Donald Trump has done me that has done that has upset me a whole lot more than this. I'm going to walk you through this just really quickly. And this is a memorandum of the telephone conversation. It is not verbatim. And you can always tell because if it's verbatim, you get the ums and the ahs and the repeats and everything else. We don't have that here. And some people are making a big case about that. Wow, has this been sanitized? I wonder what else they left out. Well, just for a moment, let's just say, okay, they they kind of put it maybe in a little more took out all of the bidibidibidis and just got to the meat of it. So the president congratulates the president of the Ukraine on a great victory. The way you came from behind, somebody who hasn't given, wasn't given much of a chance. And there's more here. I'm just paraphrasing. Uh, president Zelensky comes back and goes, you're absolutely right, Mr. President. Then we had some serious sucking up. I had the opportunity to learn from you. We used quite a few of your skills and knowledge and were able to use it as an example for our elections. And yes, it is true that these were unique elections. And then he went on, he said, I think I should run more often so you can call me more often and we can talk over the phone more often. The president laughs, our president laughs and says, that's a very good idea. And then the president of Ukraine comes back and said, we wanted to drain the swamp here in our country, too. And then the president, uh, and then he goes on and really, you know, more more sucking up. And our president says, well, that's very nice of you to say that. We do a lot for Ukraine. Now, this is interesting. This is where our president starts laying it on pretty thick about what great allies we are. And we are. We do a lot for Ukraine. We spend a lot of effort and a lot of time, much more than the European countries. He specifically mentions Germany, who, quote, does almost nothing for you. And then he talks specifically about Angela Merkel. She talks Ukraine, but she doesn't do anything. A lot of European countries are the same way. So I think it's something you want to look at. But the United States has been a very good friend to Ukraine. President Zelensky comes back and says, yes, you are absolutely right. He did say, I talked to Angela Merkel. I didn't meet with her, but I talked with Macron as well and told them they're not doing quite as much as is needed. They're not enforcing sanctions. They're not working as much as they should for Ukraine. European Union should be our biggest partner, but technically the United States is a much bigger partner. And then we get some more sucking up. And he says this, which is interesting. I would also like to thank you for your great support in the area of defense. We are ready to continue to cooperate for the next step specifically. We are almost, we are ready to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purposes. And then President Trump says, I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I'd like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine uh, they say crowd strike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people. And he goes through to describe 
what, uh, you know, we want information on the whole thing. I think you're surrounding yourself with some of the same people. I want our attorney general to call you and your people. I'd like to get to the bottom of it. And then he says, as you saw yesterday, that whole nonsense ended with a very poor performance by a man named Robert Mueller, an incompetent performance. But they say a lot of it started with Ukraine. Whatever you can do, it's very important that you do it if that is possible. Then the president of Ukraine says, yes, it is important to me. It's important that we are open to any future cooperation. Then it gets specifically about recalling ambassadors. They talk specifically about Rudy Giuliani, uh, be able to travel to Ukraine and so on. And then he said they, they talked about the prosecutors. They talked about Giuliani, who's a highly respected man, mayor of New York. And this is another part of that that is quite interesting. Our president says the other thing. There's a lot of talk about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about it. So whatever you can do with the attorney general would be great. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution. So if you can look into it, it sounds horrible to me, and he's assured by the president of Ukraine that he will. Then there's some niceties back and forth, different things. Hey, I stayed at Trump Tower and blah, blah, blah. Then the president of uh, Ukraine said, I also want to ensure you that we will be very serious about the case and will work on the investigation as to the economy. There is so much potential for our two countries, and one of the issues that is very important for Ukraine is energy dependence. They talk about energy, and then they give their fond farewells. You know, of of all of the things that <laughs> that I've been concerned about, this doesn't appear to be the worst. But I suppose there are things you can read between the lines. There are things that are distressing in there. There are some things where you go, wow, time, place, and manner, Mr. President. I'm not sure if you got this right for both of the presidents. So we'll uh, we'll digest that. We've got some sound, too, that we want to share with you coming up. And I'm also very pleased that our uh, third district congressman, we talked with our former third district congressman, Chris Cannon, from years ago. John Curtis will be joining us coming up next here on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. We'll get his take on the process, being our newest member of, well, actually, no, Ben McAdams is our newest member. We couldn't get him today. We're working on getting Ben to join us tomorrow. That's all coming up on Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Coming up in a few minutes, uh, it is expected that the whistleblower's uh, complaint will be delivered to uh, to Congress, and also the president is scheduled to speak coming up in a few minutes. That tends to float a little bit, so we'll see what actually happens. And this is how, basically, I mean, there, there have been lots of rumblings, but this is how it started yesterday. Press reports began to break of a phone call by the president of the United States calling upon a foreign power to intervene in his election. This is a breach of his constitutional responsibilities. Uh, That's taking some latitude with at least what I read uh, within the transcript of the telephone conversation, assuming, of course, that that's what she was referring to. She went on, and we'll play more of that sound in a moment. But I'm very pleased to have our third district congressman join us. John Curtis is on the line. Congressman, welcome. It's good to have you back with us. It's been too long, Doug. It's so great to uh, be on the phone with you. It has been too long, and I'd, I'd really appreciate your viewpoint on this. It seems that in our society, in our government, we have weaponized so many things that used to be more tools. We'd use tools, but now we turn those tools into weapons to bludgeon one another. And how seriously are you taking all of this? 
Well, I think it's it's a mistake not to take it serious, but I, I'm also quite surprised at uh, the, the jump to uh, conclusions. Um, you, you just played Speaker Pelosi's comments, and she hadn't even heard the transcript or learned about uh, the the whistleblower. And, and we're, she was literally hours away from getting that information. And so to, to jump to the conclusion surprises me a little bit. I, I guess I'm a little disappointed that so many of my colleagues have, have rushed to judgment and haven't even heard the information. I, I was surprised, too, how definitive she was. She didn't say, yes. hey, we want to find out if there has been a betrayal of democracy. She said it was a betrayal of democracy. And Wow, holy cow, uh, that, that's fairly profound. It is. And listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm not the one to defend the president. He can defend himself. But, but I will tell you this. It's been clear that the Democrats have wanted to impeach him, from, some Democrats, I shouldn't, I shouldn't cast that net so broadly, have wanted to impeach him from day one. Let's not fool ourselves. This has not started an impeachment investigation. That has been ongoing, right? I mean, Jerry Nadler has been, has been pursuing that line. So this, I think they see as just another a quiver, uh, arrow in their quiver uh, to shoot at him. And uh, I, I, I am one who wants transparency. I want the information. I, we actually dropped a bill today that matches the Senate bill uh, to get the whistleblower in front of the intelligence committees. I, I think we all Americans need to hear exactly what's happened. But, but holy cow, let's, let's hear what's happened uh, and not stop the, the Stop the wills of Congress. You, you should see back here, everything has stopped. You know, all that conversation about uh, guns, all that conversation about – this is uh, Clean Energy Week. Nobody's talking about clean energy back here. Yeah. Um, and everything stops so that we can have this moment. Well, I remember how disruptive this was in the 1998-1999 era, just the final year or so of Bill Clinton's presidency. And regardless of how you, you feel, whether or not he should have been impeached or well or not, and he was impeached, but he was not convicted, the fact is it had that same effect back then. I couldn't believe how little was done while we were hearing all of the testimony, all of the accusations, what is, is, and all of the different things. It was, it was really quite an amazing thing. And to think that we might be on the doorstep of that once again is uh, is unique, to say the least. I, I mentioned this a little earlier. Somehow we made it through almost 200 years of our republic with only one impeachment, which did not end in a conviction in the, the wild, crazy stuff that was happening right after the Civil War, for heaven's sakes, with, with arguably one of our very, very worst presidents. And now, in my lifetime, even though Nixon was not impeached, he certainly would have been and most likely convicted. We had Bill Clinton, and now we're we're on the cusp of perhaps an impeachment proceedings against Donald Trump. And you ask yourself, what in the world has changed in the last 50 years or so? It is. It's unfortunate. And I think what people um, should feel comfortable with in Utah is that there are wonderful procedures in place to address these issues. That just the normal course of Congress using its investigative powers, we, we don't need to stop Congress uh, to, to deal with this and give the American people an answer as to exactly what happened and how serious it is. And and yet all this grandstanding, the, the press conference yesterday, that tends to grind everything to a halt. Um, and like I say, there's some really important issues. Let's talk about the MCA. It's, it's not being talked about now. Uh, we, had just, we had just a few weeks to get that through, and, and, and it's as if we're saying goodbye to all of those things so that Congress can stop 
and, and we can talk about what the president said or didn't say. What is your gut feeling here, John? What do you what do you think is going to happen? Uh, I mean, if the president, if if the the Democrats exercise the muscle that they have in the House, there very well could be an impeachment because it's only a fifty plus one on on getting to that stage. And then, of course, uh, over in the Senate, I don't see any way, barring something that we really don't understand or have not seen yet, where the president would be convicted in the in the Senate. So I, I'm just trying to figure this out. What is the likelihood of your, uh, you know, your colleagues in the House of Representatives just kind of going lock lockstep in arm, using the majority and forwarding this to a full impeachment? Well, I, I, that's impossible to predict. Uh, but I will tell you this. There, there are a, a certain number who from day one have predetermined this outcome. So anything that comes along, they try to fit it into the, their scenario. And so that's like going to court and, and not having an offense, but deciding, well, we're going to find this, this, this individual guilty of, of this offense before they've even done anything. And, and it, it feels like we're moving toward this predetermined outcome, and they're just trying to figure out how to do it along as they go along the way. And I think to answer your question is what I see is going to happen is that won't stop. That'll happen right up until election, and then we'll see uh, where this goes from there. But there's just enough um, who feel that strongly about removing the president from office that predetermined that that's what's going to happen. Well, you you do wonder what the timetable is and what the potential is, and it's all speculation. It's all kind of a honestly a fool's errand right now, obviously. But you can't help but wonder what effect this will have on the 2020 election, what it'll have on congressional seats, Senate seats, the presidential race, if we are right in the middle and embroiled up to our eyeballs in this issue. So the irony of what you just said is think about that for a moment. So you talk about influencing the 2020 election, right, or the 2016 election. In reality, Democrats have within their power the ability to influence the 2020 election by using this, by structuring the um, the hearings, by the timing of when this all comes to fruition in a way that would dramatically influence the election. And, and how ironic is that? Well, and as if this election wasn't going to be uh, kind of unique enough or uh, supercharged <laughs> enough to have an impeachment process going on at the same time, you know, just for a moment, assuming that this does move forward. But boy, this can be dragged out a long, long time, even before there is an actual vote in the House, whether or not to move forward with the impeachment process. This could go on a long time and well into well, certainly the, the preparatory time for the election. I think that's the worst scenario is, look, if, if, the, if there's something we need to investigate, by golly, let's do it and let's do it quick. Um, let's get the facts out. We're, we're fortunate if we now have the transcript. We'll have the whistleblower in front of the right committees tomorrow. But there's no reason that, that this should take very long. And let's give the American people the answer that, that they, they want to hear what happened and they want to be able to decide for themselves what should, should happen. But there's no reason that this should take uh, weeks and months and months like the Mueller report did. Yeah. Congressman Curtis, what a pleasure to have you uh, with us here on the program. I'll be filling in over the next couple of weeks. And if something uh, continues on, I may call you again. Uh, You know where to find me. It's always a pleasure, Doug. Hey, thank you so much. Our 3rd District Congressman John Curtis with us here on Inside Sources. We are anticipating comments and a press conference with the President of the United States, so we're staying tuned for that. They tend to float around just a little bit, but we also want to share some of the sound that has come out of various 
sources back in Washington, D.C. over the last uh, 24 hours or so. So stay with us here at KSL News Radio. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Thank you for joining us on Inside Sources today. I'm Doug Wright filling in for the next several weeks. And any moment now, as the crawls are saying on the various TV screens, any moment President Trump will speak after the White House releases the transcript of the phone call that was made between President Trump and the president of Ukraine. Uh, We had an interesting text a few moments ago. I won't read the whole thing, but this individual said, and the facts are in the the whistleblower's complaint, not in the call transcript. We kind of walked you through. I didn't read the whole thing, but some of the highlights from the transcript. And then our texture goes on to say, mostly because supposedly there were multiple times that he broke the law. That's where we'll find out if uh, what he did is impeachable. And certainly that's going to uh, to happen today. The whistleblower's uh, information complaint will be issued to Congress or has been right now. We heard that it would be at four o'clock Eastern time, two o'clock our time, seven minutes ago. And we also are anticipating that at any moment, President Trump will speak. So we'll just keep uh, our ear to the ground here as soon as the president steps to uh, the podium. Uh, We're seeing uh, images of that right now. I believe he's in New York today, if I remember correctly. Isn't that right? Yes, he is in New York. So we don't have the traditional uh, East Room or the uh, Rose Garden or the traditional press briefing room at the White House. We have a set that is set up in New York City with the presidential podium and the presidential flag and uh, insignia and so on ready to go. So we'll, uh, in the meantime, I wanted to share some of the sound. We played uh, just a little bit before we talked with Congressman John Curtis a moment ago. We played a bit from Nancy Pelosi yesterday, our time at about 5 o'clock, and she talked about why they were pursuing uh, impeachment. But then she just definitively painted the picture that this was a betrayal of democracy. The actions of the Trump presidency revealed the dishonorable fact of the president's betrayal of his oath of office, betrayal of our national security, and betrayal of the integrity of our elections. Well, I'll tell you, those are pretty definitive statements. And uh, what, uh, what actually has happened, was there a betrayal of democracy? Well, that can be the allegation. That can be it is alleged or we are concerned that there was a betrayal of democracy. But, boy, unless Nancy Pelosi knows something that uh, basically nobody else uh, has been privy to, wow, that's a strong, strong statement. And then the Speaker of the House talked about uh, what she was doing, directing committees to pursue the impeachment. I'm directing our six committees to proceed with their investigations under that umbrella of impeachment inquiry. The president must be held accountable. No one is above the law. As was indicated uh, with several of our conversations, not the least of which was our former 3rd District Congressman uh, Chris Cannon, who was there during the impeachment and played a significant role during the impeachment of Bill Clinton, he talked about the House Judiciary Committee is the key spot here, even though uh, Speaker Pelosi has directed six committees to pursue the impeachment, the one that really as uh, kind of the paramount importance here, is the Judiciary Committee. And Nancy Pelosi, again, was definitive about whether or not the president has violated the Constitution. 
the actions taken to date by the President have seriously violated the Constitution, especially when the President says, Article 2 says I can do whatever I want. Now, President Trump, unfortunately, has said some, uh, I'll just use a, a term that I use often, some hairball things occasionally, and some things that do not make him appear to be the very best informed on maybe the intricacies of the actual function of the legislative branch or sometimes even the executive branch. And we have also heard some pretty hairball statements regarding the judiciary as well. But actually violated the the Constitution the way Nancy Pelosi. Listen to this once again. And again, the president has said some pretty unique things. Everybody has some faux pas occasionally. But sometimes uh, there have been some little moments where you really go, Mr. President, really? But this is what Nancy Pelosi said again about violating the Constitution. The actions taken to date by the president have seriously violated the Constitution, especially when the president says, Article 2 says I can do whatever I want. Okay. Now, (laughs) uh, I happen not to be the biggest fan of Donald Trump, as many of you know. But when you start using the word impeachment, when you start taking our country down that path, I think on the other side, even though the president is a little loose sometimes with his statements and gets into, let's be charitable, a little hyperbole occasionally, I think for those that are going to take our country or want to take our country down the road to impeachment, they, we need to be very, very careful. Now, in a press conference, the Speaker of the House talked about how wrong it is to ask a foreign government to intervene in elections. This is Speaker Pelosi. If the president brings up, he wants them to investigate something, that's to of his political opponent. That is self-evident that it is not right. We don't ask foreign governments to help us in our elections. That's what we try to stop with Russia. It's wrong. Okay, that was the Speaker of the House. And I wanted you to kind of hear what was motivating all of this, what the speaker said, because she is the one that is initiating this, lighting the fuse on what may or may not uh, end up being a burst, or it might just end up uh, fizzling out. Mitch McConnell, who is the minority leader uh, over, actually, yeah, the minority, (laughs) I need to keep things straight, minority leader in uh, in the Senate, had this to say about Nancy Pelosi and what's happening right now. Yesterday, even though bipartisan committee investigations into the new whistleblower allegations are underway, and just hours after the president offered to publicize the details of his phone call with the president of Ukraine, the dam finally broke. Speaker Pelosi couldn't hold back the far left any longer. Before any of us even had the facts in hand, she caved to the left and announced an impeachment inquiry. Mitch McConnell And uh, caving in to the Democrats is what uh, Mitch McConnell says regarding Nancy Pelosi. Uh, What about uh, some of our local folks that we have not had the chance to talk to? Uh, One is Senator Mitt Romney. And from uh, Twitter, he said, if the president asked or pressured Ukraine's president to investigate his political rival, either directly or through his personal attorney, it would be troubling in the extreme, critical for the facts to come out. Based on the transcript, it appears certainly that the president did ask 
uh, the president of Ukraine, to look into some of the issues that were happening around uh, Joe Biden and particularly Joe Biden's son. Whether or not there was pressure is uh, an interesting word to use here. And sometimes you need to look at it very carefully on what preceded the request, what came after the request. But uh, Mitt Romney's absolutely right on this. It's critical for the facts to come out. We also have this uh, audio from Mitt Romney where he talked about the other party. Here we go. I think it's very natural for people to to look at circumstances and see them in the light that's most uh, uh, amenable to their maintaining power Hmm. and and doing things to to preserve their power. And I think part of that is that both both parties feel very deeply that if the other party were in charge, that terrible things would happen for the country and for the people. Uh, Mitt Romney, and uh, he has uh, been interviewed several times by The Atlantic, and we've had that sound, and he talked about uh, the quid pro quo nature. He wouldn't focus so much on that. He'd focus on other things. By the way, I apologize. I misspoke uh, just a moment ago. Kind of went temporarily brain dead for a second. Mitch McConnell, obviously, is the majority leader in the uh, Senate. So, And that's one of the reasons right now why, if this were to emerge, the impeachment process were to emerge from the House of Representatives with a 50-plus-1 vote, and it ended up in the lap of the Senate, with the Senate being in the control of Republicans right now. Coming up with a two-thirds, two-thirds of the Senate on impeachment, that would be almost at any time, that would be really, really tough. I mean, they couldn't even do it with Andrew Johnson back in the uh, 1860s. Uh, So uh, effort in futility kind of comes to mind. But if the president in the minds of those in the House, have done something that is, you know, high crimes and misdemeanors, then moving forward would be their obligation, whether or not politics eventually kept it from uh, coming to fruition or not. We need to take a break at this point. And again, we are still monitoring uh, everything. Uh, The president has not stepped to the podium yet. Some of the talking heads are still standing up doing reports. That usually indicates that nothing is imminent. So stay with us. We'll carry the president's comments coming up on Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Well, it's good to have you along on the program today. Doug Wright filling in for the next several weeks here on Inside Sources. We continue to monitor the view that we have of the presidential podium back in New York, and we are still seeing the, uh, the we like to call them talking heads, those that are reporting for the networks will stand up right there in the front, and uh, they are still doing so. So that appears that we have not received any two-minute warnings. That's usually what happens. The press corps will receive a two-minute warning that the president is on his way, and everybody will wrap things up, take their seats. And then when the president uh, enters, then he usually has an opening statement of some kind, and then it is customary, especially in light of what's happening right now, to take questions. And he has been more than willing to do that throughout the day as he's met with dignitaries from other countries, and that includes the president of Ukraine. One of the big issues, and what is in the whistleblower complaint, you know, who knows? But uh, we understand it's about to be delivered to Congress. We had heard that it would be delivered to Congress at 2 p.m. That was about our time, of course. Uh, That was about 22 minutes ago. That's also when we heard that the president would be speaking. So things are running just a little bit behind. But one of the big things 
in the Democrats' concerns about especially the phone call that he made to the Ukrainian president was the fact that it was a quid pro quo. And what that means is I give you something, you give me something. And basically, if you give me information on the Joe Biden situation or the Joe Biden's son or the prosecution, then I will help you out as president of the United States with uh, military help. Well, that is not clearly evident in this uh, transcript at all. Now, the only uh, kind of extrapolation, sometimes you read between the lines, and should we or should we not here, I'll let you be the judge. And then also, sometimes there is a kind of political speak. Honestly, this president usually doesn't use a lot of uh, kind of cryptic, uh, hidden, he usually blurts it out. He usually says, he does speak quite plainly, let's, let's put it that way. But the only thing that I really saw kind of in that arena, I mean, if you're really looking for something, after all of the niceties, I called it politely sucking up that we saw, and then an actual, you know, uh, kind of underscoring of how important the United States of America is to Ukraine, which uh, President Trump uh, was not light-handed on that at all, saying that we are much more helpful. I don't know why Germany doesn't step up more. I don't know why the European Union doesn't step up more. And the president of Ukraine back, basically backed that up. He said the EU, the European Union, should be our biggest contributor, but they're not, and it is indeed the United States. He said technically the United States is a much bigger partner. And he said, I'd like to thank you for your great support in the area of defense, this is what's interesting. This is the president of Ukraine. After we talk about all of the help and everything else, much more than the European Union, especially when we're talking about sanctions against the Russian Federation, I would like to thank you, Mr. President, for your great support in the area of defense. We are ready to continue to cooperate for the next steps specifically. We are almost, and then there's kind of a weird punctuation here. That probably should be a, not a period, but maybe a comma or something. We're ready to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purpose. The president doesn't directly address that. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, you know, that's that's going to be a good deal for us. We'll send those right away. Or, well, we have a little heartburn over something. But the president immediately after being thanked for support in area of defense, we want to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purposes, our president, Trump, said, I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say crowd strike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people, the server, they say Ukraine has. There are lots of things that went on, the whole situation. I think you're surrounding yourself with some of the same people. I would like to have the attorney general call you or your people, and I would like you to get to the bottom of it. As you saw yesterday, that whole nonsense. And remember yesterday, this conversation happened on the 25th of July. Yesterday, you saw this nonsense ended with a very poor performance by a man named Robert Mueller, an incompetent performance, but they say a lot of it started with Ukraine. Whatever you can do, it's very important that you do it if that's possible. That was right after the president of Ukraine talked about how important it was and the great support in the area of defense and how they wanted to buy more uh, equipment. So, you know, a lot of this, it's, it's not blatant. Let's put it that way. It's just not blatant. 
We keep seeing that the whistleblower complaint is about to be delivered to Congress. We keep seeing the pictures of the podium at which the President of the United States momentarily, we keep hearing at any moment, will be addressing some of these very issues that we are discussing. A little later on in the conversation, the President of the United States, uh, he goes right back to this again talking about getting more information, talking about Rudy Giuliani, underscoring he was a mayor, a great mayor of New York City. I'd like him to call on you. I will ask him to call uh, you along with the attorney general. And I'd like to just read this place verbatim. The former ambassador from the United States, the woman was bad news, and the people she was dealing with in the Ukraine were bad news. So I just want to let you know that. The other thing, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about that. So whatever you can do with the attorney general would be great. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution. So if you can look into it, it sounds horrible to me. President Zelensky said, I wanted to tell you about the prosecutor, first of all. And then he goes on about the next prosecutor, 100% his person, my person is how it's worded here. He or she will look into the situation specifically to the company that you mentioned in this issue, the company that Joe Biden's son worked for. The issue of the investigation of the case is actually the issue of making sure to restore the honesty. So we will take care of that and we'll work on the investigation of the case. And then President uh, Zelensky draws back to it a little later on. I want to ensure you that we will be very serious about the case and will work on the investigation. And then he steers into the economy. As to the economy, there is much potential for our two countries. And one of the issues that is very important for Ukraine is energy dependence. So sometimes it's interesting just to look at the conversation that is surrounding the actual, hey, would you look into this for me? Yes, we will, Mr. President, and what they pivot to and what they pivot from. All right. Uh, How did the president react to all of this? Well, we're anticipating uh, a rather significant reaction here in just a moment. But fundamentally, it pretty much boils down to this. It's the single greatest witch hunt in American history, probably in history, but in American history, it's a disgraceful thing. Uh, The letter was a great letter, meaning the letter revealing the call uh, that was done at the insistence. Okay, the president is speaking to the, is stepping to the podium, and let's uh, join this President uh, Trump from New York. The uh, meetings I had on a bilat or close were pretty staggering. I think we set a new record, but you'll have to check that out. The uh, we met very, very uh, for pretty extended periods of time, either two on two, one on one, or just about at that level, with Pakistan, Poland, New Zealand, Singapore, Egypt, South Korea, United Kingdom, India, Iraq. Argentina, Germany, Brazil, France, Japan, Ukraine, Honduras, El Salvador, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, Oman, UAE, Chile, Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. Other than that, we weren't too busy over the last three days. And unfortunately, the press doesn't even cover it. You know, we have we've made some fantastic deals like with Japan for farmers. We have a tremendous 
trade deal with uh, Japan, and uh, that doesn't get covered because you waste your time on nonsense. The PMI manufacturers index uh, is has gone substantially up, which was an incredible. Larry Cudlow, wherever you may be. Larry, please stand up. Uh, he just gave me these numbers. Uh, and existing new home sales are uh, through the roof. Just came out. Oil prices have gone down ever since the Saudi Arabia incident, and they've gone down very substantially, so we have plenty of oil. Uh, but those numbers were surprising to you, Larry, and the extent of the increase. Is that a correct statement? So thank you, Larry Cudlow. Um, we uh, think we'll make this little announcement to you because important, uh, you know, the so-called whistleblower, the one that didn't have any first class or first rate or uh, second tier information from what I understand. You'll have to figure that out for yourself. Uh, but I've spoken with leader Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans, many of them. And we were going to do this anyway, but I've informed them, all of the House members, that I fully support transparency on the so-called whistleblower information, even though it was supposedly secondhand information, which is sort of interesting. Um, and other things have come out about the whistleblower that are also maybe even more interesting but also insist on transparency from Joe Biden and his son, Hunter, on the millions of dollars that have been quickly and easily taken out of Ukraine and China. Millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars taken out very rapidly while he was vice president. And I think they should have transparency for that. I've informed the leader about that. And uh, additionally, I demand transparency from Democrats who went to Ukraine and attempted to force the new president, who I met and is an outstanding person, I just met a little while ago. Some of you were there. I think he's going to be outstanding. He got elected on the basis of corruption. He wants to end corruption in Ukraine, and I think that's great. But they went there, and they wanted to force the new president to do things that they wanted under the form of political threat. They threatened him if he didn't do things. Now, that's what they're accusing me of, but I didn't do it. I didn't threaten anybody. In fact, the press was asking questions of the president of Ukraine, and he said, no pressure. I used the word pressure. I think he used the word push, but he meant pressure, but it's the same thing. No push, no pressure, no nothing. It's all a hoax, hoax. It's all a big hoax. And the sad thing about this hoax is that we work so hard with all of these countries, and, I mean, really hard. This has been — I've been up from early in the morning to late in the evening and meeting with different countries, all for the good of our country, and the press doesn't even cover all of this. And it's disappear — it's really disappointing also to those countries that are with us and spend so much time with us. So we want transparency. We've informed — Kevin McCarthy about transparency, and we said vote for it. So I think you'll have close to 100 percent of the Republican votes, I hope. And they got almost no attention. But in May, CNN reported that Senators Robert Menendez, Richard Durbin, 
And Patrick Leahy wrote a letter to Ukraine's prosecutor general expressing concern at the closing of four investigations they said were critical. In the letter, they implied that their support for U.S. assistance to Ukraine was at stake and that if they didn't do the right thing, they wouldn't get any assistance. Gee, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound familiar? And Chris Murphy, who I've been dealing with on guns, you know, so nice. He's always, oh, no, we want to work it out. We want to work it out. But they're too busy wasting their time on, on the witch hunt. So Senator Chris Murphy literally threatened the president of Ukraine that if he doesn't do things right, they won't have Democrat support in Congress. So you're going to look all of this up. One other thing, I'm just going off certain... Uh, notes and uh, elements of what we've been doing over the last three days, but this just came up a few minutes ago. The Amazon Washington Post just put out a fake article that acting director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire, who I've gotten to know, and he's a tough cookie, and I was surprised, I was shocked to hear this, was going to quit blaming the White House for something that they wouldn't let him talk openly, freely. And I was shocked because I know Joe, and he's tough, tough guy. And I was really surprised to hear he was going to quit. Before I could even either talk to him or talk to anybody else, he put out a statement. I, I didn't speak to Joe yet. But he said, at no time have I considered resigning my position. In other words, the story in The Washington Post was a fake at no time have I considered resigning my position since assuming this role on August 16th, 2019. I have never quit anything in my life, and I am not going to start now. I'm committed to leading the intelligence community to address the diverse and complex threats facing our nation. That's from the acting director of national intelligence, a very good man, Joseph McGuire. So we're having a great period of time. Our country is the strongest it's ever been economically. Our numbers are phenomenal. Wilbur, thank you, and Larry, everybody. The numbers are phenomenal. Our economy is the strongest in the world. We're the largest economy in the world. Had my opponent won, we would be second right now, because China was catching us so rapidly, we would have been second by this time. And unless somebody does a very poor job as president, we're going to be first for a long way, because we've picked up trillions and trillions of dollars in value and worth of our country. And China has lost trillions and trillions of dollars and millions of jobs and their supply chain. And they want to make a deal. This year, America came to the United Nations stronger than we have ever been before. Since my election, the United States has not only brought our economy to a level that we have never seen, the most jobs that we've ever had. You know, you've heard me say it many times, African-American, Asian-American, Hispanic-American, the best unemployment numbers we've ever had, and the most and best employment numbers, 160 million, very close to that number, in jobs we've never been anywhere close. Wages are up and inequality is down. 
something that people don't like writing about, but wages are up. I used to speak during the campaign, and I talk about wages where people were making less money three years ago than they were making 21 years ago, 22 years ago, and they'd have two, two jobs and three jobs. So when I say three years ago, I'm talking into the area sometime prior to the election. And they were doing very badly, and now, for the first time in many years, wages are up, and employment is up, and unemployment is down, and it's a beautiful thing to watch. In a week of active and ambitious diplomacy here at the United Nations, America renewed our friendships. We advanced our values greatly and made clear to everyone that the United States will always defend our citizens. To promote prosperity, I met with Prime Minister Boris Johnson at length, the United Kingdom, continuing our discussions on a magnificent new bilateral trade deal. So we'll see what happens with respect to Brexit, but I suspect we'll have a fantastic deal with the UK. It should be much bigger than it has been over the last number of years, over the last 20 years, frankly. It should be a much bigger deal. That's true with many countries. We're going to have much bigger trade deals with a lot of countries that have an opportunity to come, and they all want to do business with the United States, especially now. Earlier today, I stood alongside Prime Minister Abe of Japan, a friend of mine, a great gentleman, had a great re-election, and we signed a terrific new trade deal, which tremendously helps our farmers and ranchers and technology uh, the technology companies are uh, really big beneficiaries. We also held very productive conversations with leaders of Pakistan, India, and many other nations on achieving stronger ties of fair and reciprocal trade. And with respect to Pakistan and India, we talked about Kashmir. And whatever help I can be, I said, I offered, whether it's arbitration or mediation or whatever it has to be, I'll do whatever I can because they're at very serious odds right now, and hopefully that'll get better. Uh, you look at the two gentlemen heading those two countries, two good friends of mine. I said, fellas, work it out. Just work it out. Those are two nuclear countries. They've got to work it out. This week, we also made incredible strides on national security. With President Duda of Poland, we signed a joint declaration advancing defense cooperation. And Crucially, Poland has agreed to put up 100 percent of the money, something I don't think you've ever heard said before. But they're going to put up 100 percent of the money of hosting additional U.S. military personnel that we'll be taking from various other countries. We won't have more over. We'll have — we'll be moving them around. Poland is building us phenomenal new facilities. They're spending everything, and they're — they're going to uh, really do a job. Uh, but we'll be moving a few thousand soldiers, and Poland will be paying that for it. Together with Prime Minister Lee of Singapore, I signed an important agreement extending our defense cooperation. This hasn't been changed in many years. And yesterday I met with prospective members of the Middle East Strategic Alliance, which is a group that I know very well. I know all of them. And through this effort, the nations of the Middle East are taking more responsibility for securing their own future and their own neighborhood. 
And uh, they're also reimbursing us and paying us for uh, a lot of the military work that we incredibly do. But because we're now independent energy-wise, we're energy independent, we have very few boats going over the Middle East. We used to have them going through the straits all the time. We just wanted to remind you, you are listening to a press conference in case you just tuned in with the President of the United States at the United States Mission to the United Nations. And we will continue this coverage. Uh, He has yet to take questions. We are anticipating that he will do that. Let's rejoin the President. They have far bigger trouble. But then they said, but, you know, we don't see very many American boats over here anymore. This week also brought extraordinary progress to nations of our own hemisphere. In recent days, we've achieved historic asylum cooperation agreements with El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. We were with El Salvador today. A great young gentleman became the president. He's strong and tough, and he's taking care of crime. He was really something today. I was very impressed with him. And likewise with Honduras, who we met, uh, we signed a cooperation agreement with both and also with Guatemala. We're working with our partners in Central America to ensure that asylum seekers can pursue relief as close to their home countries as possible. That'll make a tremendous difference at our southern border. And Mexico, I have to say, President Lopez Obrador has been outstanding and an outstanding partner, and he's doing a great job in Mexico. Uh, the cartels are way down, and uh, the numbers, our secretary is here now, the numbers are way down, way, way down. And uh, we're doing that without the help of Congress, meaning the Democrats in Congress, who won't give us a single vote to take care of loopholes. We have loopholes that are so horrible. And it would be so easy to fix. And they know they should be fixed, but they don't want to do it because they don't want to give Trump any credit. Because it's all about the election. That's all they care about. They don't care about our country. They care about the election. And the sad part is, with all of the tremendous work that we've done this weekend, whether it's Secretary Mnuchin or Secretary Pompeo, who had some outstanding, outstanding meetings, with all of this tremendous work that we've done, uh, the press doesn't even cover it. And the Democrats did this hoax during the United Nations week. It was perfect. Because this way, it takes away from these tremendous achievements that we're taking care of doing, uh, that we're involved in, in New York City at the United Nations. So that was all planned, like everything else. It was all planned. And the witch hunt continues. But they're getting hit hard on this witch hunt. Because when they look at the information, it's a joke. Impeachment for that? When you have a wonderful meeting or you have a wonderful phone conversation? I think you should ask. We actually, you know, that was the second conversation. I think you should ask for the first conversation also. I can't believe they haven't. Although I heard there's a, there's a rumor out they want the first conversation. It was beautiful. It was just a perfect conversation. But I think you should do that. I think you should do. And I think you should ask for VP Pence's conversation because he had a couple of conversations also. I could save you a lot of time. They were all perfect. Nothing was mentioned of any import other than congratulations. 
But the word is that they're going to ask for the first phone conversation. Uh, you can have it anytime you need it. And also Mike Pence's conversations, which were, I think, one or two of them. They were perfect. They were all perfect. Uh, it's very sad what the Democrats are doing to this country. They're dividing. They're belittling. They're demeaning our country. So many leaders came up to me today and they said, sir, what you go through, no president has ever gone through. And it's so bad for your country. People laugh at the stupidity of what they've asked for. And here we could do asylum. We could do all of these different things so easily. We could do asylum quickly. We could do loopholes, get rid of them. Instead, we actually make deals with Mexico and with Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras. And we're doing it with them instead of with our Congress. But we're doing it. We get it done. The wall is being built, by the way. It got little coverage. I went to the border. Uh, it's going up in New Mexico. It's going up in Arizona. It's going up in California, believe it or not. They really wanted that wall in California, in San Diego. As soon as it was completed, they said, we don't want a wall. They were begging me for a wall. I should take it out and move it to another location. We were with uh, the governor, spoke to him a lot, but the governor of Texas, the lieutenant governor of Texas, attorney general of Texas, the senators of Texas, Corn and Ted Cruz. And uh, we're building an incredible wall that's uh, going to, number one, it's going to look great. It's going to be virtually uh, impossible to cross unless you're one hell of a mountain climber. It's very tough. It's going to be very tough to get people and drugs over those walls because they're the real deal. Um, I went to the Secretary of Homeland Security, and he got all his people together. I said, give me four walls, your optimum, every single thing included, and they give me 20 percent less, 20 percent less, and 20 percent less, meaning less cost. They came back. They said, this is the wall, sir. This would be the best. We have the panels on top, which are anti-climb panels. I don't know if you noticed the steel on top. We have a different design for a different area, but this anti-climb, it's very tough. They've, we had people going out and real climbers telling us which is the toughest to climb, but these are anti-climb panels. Very tough to get across, and the wall is going up uh, many miles a week. And we hope to have over 400, but maybe as much as 500 miles, which will pretty much do it because you have a lot of natural barriers. You have mountains. You have really rough rivers. You have some really rough land that you can't cross very easily. So they serve as their natural walls. But we uh, will have, we think, over 400, but we could even have 500 miles uh, to combat the malice and corruption of both the Venezuelan and Iranian dictatorships. Today, I issued proclamations suspending the entry into the United States of senior regime officials and their families. And further, to promote American values, on Monday, I was proud to be the first president in history to host a meeting at the United Nations. I'm so surprised. First president for this. I can't believe that I'm first. I spoke to Franklin Graham about that. I can't believe it at the United Nations on protecting religious freedom and liberty for people around the world. While some partisans and unelected bureaucrats in Washington may choose to fight every day against the interests 
and beliefs of the American people. My administration is standing up for the American people like no administration has in many, many years. You forgot the American people. You totally forgot the American people. This week, every, every week, I really can say, of my presidency, we're standing up for American prosperity, American security, and the American way of life. And together with our friends and partners, we're building a more peaceful, prosperous, and promising future. We have a uh, tremendous relationship now with a lot of nations that are very happy with what's going on. And that includes in South America, where they've been so helpful, where nobody thought this would be possible. The relationship with Mexico, as an example, or El Salvador, or Honduras, or Guatemala. Nobody even knew about it. Yet we sent them hundreds of millions of dollars. And all we got back was caravans of people pouring in. We had tremendous, we had tremendous, it was terrible. And we've got that stopped, and the countries are now helping us. And we stopped those payments, by the way. We don't pay those countries that money anymore. But I will tell you, if they're as good as they seem to be, they're really doing a job on crime and stopping the wrong people from leaving and coming to the United States. We'll be helping them a lot with economic development projects and other things. So with that, we had a tremendous three days. It was beautiful to see. Uh, made a lot of new friends. Uh, I read you a list of all the countries I saw, pretty much one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, it's been very busy, but it's been very, very fruitful. So we could take a couple of questions. I'd love some questions on some of the things that we accomplished at UNGA, instead of the witch hunt, the phony witch hunt questions, which I know that's what you want to ask, because uh, it's probably better for you, but it's not better for the country. So maybe we'll take a few, uh, a few questions, please. Thank you, Mr. President. You've suggested that you didn't do anything wrong in, in the course of your conversations with the Ukrainian president. Um, but can you explain to the American people why it is appropriate for an American president to ask a foreign leader for information about a political rival and what you would have said if you discovered that Barack Obama perhaps had asked a foreign leader for information about you before yeah. you campaigned for the presidency? Well, that's what he did, isn't it, really, when you think about it. Look, that whole witch hunt was started. And hopefully that'll all come out. But there have been some fantastic books written that just came out. Whether you uh, look at Greg Jarrett or uh, McCarthy's book that just uh, just came out recently, and so many other books. I mean, a lot of books are coming out. When you start reading those books, you see what they did to us. What they've done to this country is a disgrace. They've hurt this country very badly. And no other president should have to go through what I've gone through. Uh, the uh, president, the new president, of Ukraine is looking to stop corruption. Uh, there's a lot of corruption going on, and there was corruption. I just told you about senators that threatened him with votes and no money coming into Ukraine if they do things. That's really what people are trying to say that I did. But the only difference is I didn't do it. You take a look at that call. It was perfect. I didn't do it. There was no quid pro quo. But there was with Biden, and there was with these senators. Uh, and uh, they threatened. They said, you do this, you do that. We're not going to give you votes. That's, that's the real deal. So we have a, an honest group of people that have been maligned. And, you know, 
It's a lot of people say I'll do I'll do even better. I'm very happy. Yesterday, I guess we had a, a 53 poll and a lot of people say add 10 points to anything. Anybody voting for Trump, you can add anytime you get a poll, you can add 10 points or seven points or six points. Take it any way you want. But I don't know if I consider that to be a compliment. But in one way, it is a compliment. And I guess that's what happened in the last election. Far more people came to vote than anybody thought possible. So, so why should the American people then be comfortable with an American president asking a foreign leader for information about American citizen? Well, I think you the can look campaign. at your senators and you can look at Biden and you can look at all these other people. But what we're looking for is corruption. A, an investigation started called the Russian witch hunt, affectionately, and it was a total phony scam. It was set up by people within the government to try and stop somebody from getting elected. And after that, per after that person, namely me, won and convincingly won at 306 to 223 in the Electoral College, which, by the way, when you run a race, if you're running electoral, you know, if you go by the college, the Electoral College, that's a much different race than running popular vote. And it's like the 100-yard dash or the mild. You train differently. And I can't help it that my opponent didn't go to Wisconsin and should have gone much more to Michigan and Pennsylvania and other places, but that's the way it is. We won an election convincingly, convincingly, and then you had the text message on, well, if she doesn't win, we've got an insurance policy. How bad was that? You know what the insurance policy, that's sort of what has been taking place over the last number of years, the insurance policy. Now, there are a lot of very dishonest people. Uh, we're the ones that played it straight. And you know what? The millions of people out there that are looking at what's going on, those people understand it. They see it, and they think it's disgusting. And our people are being hurt, and our country is being hurt. When a Nancy Pelosi allows her position to be taken over by radical far-left uh, socialists, or worse, uh, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad, especially when the senators and all of these other people have actually done what they're accusing me of doing, which I didn't do. Uh, I'm going to have Mike Pompeo say a couple of words. I'm going to have Steve Mnuchin say a couple of words, and then we'll do a couple of more questions. Mr. President, I thought I'd, I'd start by talking about Iran. We had a, a productive week. Uh, we saw the Europeans... Uh, take a position with respect to the attacks that took place in Saudi Arabia, making clear this was Iran, uh, just as President Trump and I had been saying uh, and have now joined us in saying that the existing JCPA framework is just not going to work. It's not going to solve the world's problems. It's not going to create Middle East stability. Uh, then we had a good set of meetings with our Middle East allies as well. The President joined uh, for a meeting of the GCC where we talked again about how we can uh, help deter. Uh, we want peace. We want a peaceful resolution with the Islamic Republic of Iran. We're hoping we can get that way. Um, in the end, it'll be up to the Iranians to make that decision or whether they'll choose violence and hate. And as the President said in his speech yesterday to the General Assembly, if their bloodthirst will continue. We hope that's the net. We hope we can get the opportunity to negotiate with them and get an outcome that's good for both them, for the United States, to make sure that they never have a nuclear weapon and that they can't foment their terror with ballistic missiles and in the way they have all around the world. And I think we made... Real progress uniting the world on that here over these past few days. Thank you. Thank you. As Secretary Pompeo said uh, on Iran, we had very good discussions with all of our allies about the sanctions program, which is the maximum pressure.
Since the uh, president has uh, deflected to several other individuals at this point, we will monitor this very, very closely. If the president does come back and entertains more questions or speaks, we certainly will keep you apprised of that here at KSL News Radio. That does it for Inside Sources today. By the way, coming up tomorrow, we are going to be talking with Ben McAdams. I appreciate Congressman McAdams, who happens to be my representative in the state of Utah from the 4th Congressional District. We tried to get him for today, but uh, he was unable to join us. But will tomorrow, we've got a lot more in store. We'll get reaction to all kinds of things on Inside Sources tomorrow here at KSL News Radio. Our thanks to everybody who joined us today. Our thanks to those who participated. The president is stepping back to the podium. It looks like he's going to take questions, so let's rejoin that at this point. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.